Well, good morning, Edinburgh. Hey, it's great to be here with you, and uh, if you're a guest with us today, I want to give you a warm welcome as well. If you're watching online, as I suspect maybe many are <laughs> with the snow going on today, uh, hey, we're glad you are tuned in as well. Uh, as uh, many of you know, we are in a series, we kicked it off um, last week called Suit Up, uh, Fighting Back Against uh, the Devil's Schemes. And um, we're going to be studying uh, Ephesians 6, uh, primarily the righteousness uh, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the armor of God that Paul talks about uh, in, in Romans 6. We're going to study each piece of equipment, uh, how it pertains to our lives, so that you and I can walk in victory. The victory that Jesus has already secured for us. That is the hope. Of, of this series. And so I want to start off by just reviewing what we talked about last week. Uh, we saw last week we have an enemy, okay? And this enemy is spiritual. Uh, he is a fallen angel. Uh, he was probably God's uh, uh, highest angel, but he rebelled against God. Uh, he and other angels rebelled and therefore were kicked out of heaven. Uh, and I just, I'll just say it, it, it's brutal truth, but you need to be aware, um, this, this enemy hates you. And he wants to wreak havoc on your life. He wants to wreak havoc on your marriage. He wants to wreak havoc on your family. Okay, uh, it, Paul said uh, our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not primarily with people. Uh, the, the evil can work through people for sure. But the source of our problem is spiritual. The source of our problem is unseen. And you do have a threat uh, to your life. And by the way, that's whether you're a Christian or maybe not a Christian uh, this morning. You need to recognize there, there is an enemy. Uh, two, though, we saw that we don't have to live in fear. I think that's the mistake many of us Christians make. Oh, there's this enemy who hates us, who wants to wreak havoc. And so we, 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 we think we're supposed to live in, in fear of this enemy. You don't have to. That, that's, that's the good news. Uh, God has supplied for us everything we need to walk in victory over this enemy. If we understand the truths of the Bible and apply them to our lives, if we claim them for our lives, you and I do not need to live in fear. We saw last week, Paul uses the Roman soldier as his example. The Roman soldier is his metaphor. Why? Because a Roman soldier in the first century was absolutely undefeatable. As long as that soldier wore his armor, he was undefeatable going into war. The expense uh, of the equipment that that Roman soldier had, uh, nothing, nothing compared. And especially when that, uh, those soldiers gathered together, went into battle in, in, in formation, uh, they, they were undefeatable. That's why Paul tells us, though, we got to put on the full armor of God. Uh, you're going to be vulnerable if you're not wearing the full armor of God. As long as the Roman soldier had on all the pieces of armor, it, you, you, you're, not, you're not hurting that soldier. But a lot of Christians today, I said, they've got on one piece of, of equipment. They've got on the helmet of salvation. Their eternity is secure, okay, but they're not wearing the rest of the pieces of armor. And, and I said, God doesn't just want us, you know, having, having our eternity secure. He wants you walking in victory right now. He wants you walking in victory today. And so we've got to learn to put on the full armor of God uh, because uh, we, we do have an enemy uh, but again, we don't have to live in fear of, uh, of this enemy. He is an enemy of God, but he is not an equal of God. And God has given us everything we need to walk in victory. Okay, and, and then third, it starts with truth. We saw this last week. Paul starts with the belt of truth. It makes sense. Okay, so we've got to know what is 
the truth. What is the truth that helps us walk in this victory? And by the way, last week uh, we saw that Paul told us to be strong in the Lord. It's a command. Be strong in the Lord. By that, he does not mean doing anything necessarily. He, he does not mean working harder to be strong in the Lord. What does Paul mean by being strong in the Lord? He means believing in the truths of what Christ has done for us and claiming them for our lives. That's how you are strong in the Lord. That's how we equip ourselves. It's believing in what Christ has already done for us and claiming it for our lives. That's how we fight back against the devil's schemes in our life. Okay, And so this, this uh, week we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Look at uh, verse 14 uh, of Ephesians 6. Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Okay, so we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. And I think, um, I think we have a picture, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. You can see what it looks like. Okay. And just imagine the first century, I mean, other surrounding kingdoms, they, they didn't have this kind of armory. I mean, this is something, you, you know, that, that is unique to Rome that could afford this for their soldiers. Uh, but, but Paul's telling us, so put on the, the breastplate of, of righteousness. I mean, the added bonus is look at those abs you get. If you wear the breastplate of righteousness, right? Paul's like, put this on. It protects your vital organs and primarily your heart. Think about that. That's what the breastplate of righteousness protects. It protects, it protects your heart. And I can tell you one of the things the enemy wants to do in your life is he wants to get into your life. He, he wants to wreak havoc on your heart. He wants you living in guilt. He wants you living in shame. He wants you living in fear. And ultimately he wants you depressed and anxious and he wants you living in defeat. He wants to get to your heart. And what I'm talking about this morning, I honestly believe this. I believe this doctrine that I'm talking about this morning. Outside of salvation, outside of belief in Christ to have our eternity secure, okay? I believe that what I'm talking about today is, is the most important doctrine for our lives as believers. Um... You don't necessarily have to know about this doctrine to be saved, but you do have to know about this doctrine if you're going to walk in victory. I can tell you that. And sadly, I'm just going to say this, sadly many of us grew up in churches and we never heard about what I'm going to be talking about this morning. You, you were never taught about the righteousness of God. The doctrine of the righteousness of, of God. So many of you know my story. Uh, I come out of... Um, a past of drug addiction, uh, dropped out of high school, and um, I made a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad choices, and I did a lot of, a lot of evil things, okay? A lot of bad things. It's a very dark memory in, in my life. Um, I hurt a lot of people. Uh, I, um, I robbed people. I robbed houses. I that one of the things that really stuck with me for so long was I, at one point, I, I, robbed, my, I robbed my mom. I, I stole 
a large amount of money from my mom to buy drugs. And uh, for some reason, that was one of those things that just plagued me for many years after becoming a Christian. I walked around in a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. I walked around in defeat uh, for, for, for many years, close to a decade, okay, because of my past, because of things I had done. I had come to know Jesus, and I knew Jesus was the answer, but I lived my life trying to somehow overcome what I have done and prove to God that I was good enough for him to love me. And you maybe have never done drugs in your life. You maybe haven't hurt the, same, the people in the same way I hurt people, okay? But, but I would venture to guess many of us are living our lives like that as well. If I just do enough, if, if I'm just good enough, if, if I just get my life cleaned up enough, maybe God will love me and accept me, and finally there will be the peace that I've longed so much between me and God. Maybe then I'll start walking in the victory I hear other Christians talking about and that we sing in our worship songs. I think many of us might find ourselves there this morning, and part of it is because we grew up kind of hearing, even in churches, that that's, that's what causes God to love us. That's what causes God to accept us into his, into his presence. And into his peace, okay? And so that's why I say again, what we're going to talk about this morning, the, 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 the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of God, I, I truly believe, outside of salvation itself, this is the most important doctrine of, 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 of all of our lives. And so what I want to do, I, I want to start by talking about the problem. The problem, why is it that you and I walk in guilt? Why is it that you and I feel ashamed? Why, why is that? Why does that come into our life and we walk in that defeat? And then I'm going to talk about the solution. What's the solution to that? And then very quickly at the end, I'm going to talk about what does this mean for our life. But let me start with the, the problem. The, the problem is very simple. You probably know this, right? The, the, the problem is sin. Sin is the problem. Sin is why we walk and we feel guilty. Sin is why we feel uh, uh, ashamed. Uh, by the way, we were born um, into this world with a sin nature. We have a predisposition to rebel against God, to not give God the glory of the worship that he's due. I mean, if you have kids, you, you've seen, you don't have to teach your kids to, to be selfish. You don't have to teach your kids not to share, right? It's, this is born into us. We, we're born in this world basically rebelling against God. And even as Christians, we still continue to struggle with sin, uh, which is why John says in 1 John 1, 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, he's talking to believers here, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, okay? So all of us struggle with sin. That, that's just a, a, a reality. Um, I actually was looking online and I found this, uh, this article that had a list of all the sins that are in the Bible, Okay, and I just pushed print, and I went to the printer, and our operations director, Terry, man, he's going to be upset with me. This is like a quarter of a ream of paper here, okay, of all the sins that are in the Bible uh, with their references, and I'm looking through it, and you've got, you know, some of these are the hard, you know, the obvious ones, but you've got sins like, uh, you know, afraid to confess Jesus to people. Uh, you got anxiety, being anxious. And you might say, anxiety is a sin, being anxious. Well, Paul says it's a command. Do not be anxious about anything because it means we're not trusting God the way we should. Yeah, so, I mean, even there, uh, how many of us struggle with anxiety? Um, 
you know, you've got uh, things like, uh, it says being angry uh, with others, not blessing them that curse you. I mean, I'm just on page four. And I mean, some of you, right, you, I mean, you broke half this list just on your way to church fighting with your family this morning. And my point is, like, you look at this list, I mean, how could we think? I, friends, we struggle with sin. sin. Sin is something that we all have in our lives. Your sin might be different from my sin. You might be struggling with sins that's on page, you know, 1 through 5. I might be struggling with sins that's on page 30 through 35. But we all struggle with sin in some shape or, or form. And, and, and if, we do, if we claim we don't, then John says, I mean, we're liars. And the truth is not in us. This is called self-righteousness, by the way. When you start believing that you, you, you are immune to breaking any of these commands, it's called self-righteousness. Where I begin believing that I have a righteousness, that I can produce a righteousness on my own. And I put this in your notes if you're taking notes. I said the greatest threat to salvation is self-righteousness. It's not the devil. Self-righteousness, thinking that I can, I can produce a righteousness a, 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 on my own, that I'm, I'm going to be immune from breaking any of these, these commands. You know, in Jesus' day, there was a group called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the self-righteous ones. They believed that they were better than others. And you, you can't necessarily blame the Pharisees. I mean, their hearts started off with good intentions. I mean, they just wanted God to bless Israel good. They believed that they were in their plight because of sin and they were under the oppression of Rome and the Pharisees believed if we'll just clean up our acts, then God will love us, God will accept us again. And so they somehow deceived themselves into thinking they had cleaned up their acts and they were hard on others. They compared themselves to others and judged others. But we read the, the, the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Jesus, this is his most famous sermon, right? And in, in, in this sermon, listen to what Jesus says. He says, you have heard that it was said to the ancients, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And I can just imagine here the Pharisees saying, yep. Amen, Jesus. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who's just angry with his brother. By the way, judgment, what are we talking about here? We're, we're talking about like H-E double hockey sticks judgment. So eternal separation from God. He's talking about hell here. One sin, okay? Jesus goes on to say, you have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so why, why, does Jesus, why does Jesus say this? I hope we're getting this. He's trying to put us all in the same boat. Your, might, your life might look a little more cleaned up than the person over here, but Jesus is putting us all in the same boat. The, all have sinned and, and fallen short of God's ho holy standard. We, we are all in the same boat. He's, he's bringing us all down and saying you're all guilty and you all struggle with sin. And this is one of the things I love about Jesus. When you read the life of Jesus, you notice his, his words are the harshest for the self-righteous. And he does that because he's constantly trying to bring them down in order to save them. 
And then you just see his compassion and his love for the sinner, for the person who has a past, for the person who's struggling with a sin in their life. And what does Jesus just like come to me? He's just like, come to me, come to me. I, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, you who are, you know, weary and, and, and burdened by, by your sin. And, 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 and by trying to clean yourself up, come to me. And he's reaching out to the prostitutes. He's reaching out, you know, to the adulterers. He's reaching out to the tax collectors. And by the way, you, you might not understand what's so evil about, you know, tax collectors. I mean, none of us like the IRS, right? But that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about the fact that at this time, Israel's under oppression from Rome, and Rome is taxing them heavily, taking their money so that they can't build war supplies and ever be lifted up in a place where they could rebel against the Roman Empire. And the tax collectors are Israelites working from Rome working for the Roman Empire, stealing money from their neighbors to disarm the Israelites. Do you see the evil in that? And Jesus, is, he's calling them to be his disciples. Matthew, <laughs> a tax collector, one of the 12. I mean, th friends, this is, this is our Jesus, okay? We have to understand the danger, the danger is trying to, just thinking that we are going to produce a righteousness on our own. Jesus wants to level us and realize we're all in the same boat. So what is the solution then? Because this, I mean, this isn't very good news so far. What is the solution? The solution is a righteousness that comes from God. That's the solution. It's a righteousness that comes from God. I put this in your notes if you're taking notes. The solution, I, I, I said it this way. It is a righteous standing given to me through Christ. It is a righteous standing given to me through Christ. And I promise you one thing. If you, if you understand what I just said there, And grasp this for your life. This is really, really good news. When we give up the game of self-righteousness and we turn to a righteousness that's given to us, it's really, really good news. You, you, you realize, by the way, that this doctrine changed world history, right? It goes back to something called the Reformation in the 16th century when a man named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King was named after his father. But Martin Luther King, I mean, the name comes from the reformer Martin Luther. It goes back to the 16th century reformer. Uh, he, was, he was in a storm one day as a young man, and the storm, um, it, it scared the hell into him. I mean, he, he realized, like, if I were to die, I don't know where I'm going. And he committed his life to God. But at that time, the, the church, um, right, the universal church, the Catholic church, they were teaching self-righteousness as the way to be saved, okay? There's, 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 there's things you need to do in your life. There's hoops you need to jump through if you want to be saved. So Luther realizes, I need God, I need salvation, but the church at the time is teaching them that in order to do that, you got to clean up your life and you got to do these X, Y, and Z. 
And so Luther gives his life to trying to do that. In fact, uh, he, he, he goes into the ministry uh, because he thinks, maybe if I go into the ministry and I start working for God, then maybe God will love me. Then maybe God will accept me. He's racked by this guilt. He didn't do drugs. He really wasn't that bad of a person, but he was still racked by the guilt he saw within himself. The sin that he struggled with. And it didn't seem like no matter how hard he worked, it didn't seem like no matter what he did, it didn't seem to bring him peace before God. No matter how hard he scrubbed those monastery floors, they never seemed to be clean enough to make him right before God. And at this time, you need to understand that the church was not allowing people to read the Bible for themselves. The Bible was translated in Latin, okay? And, and, and you had to be very educated to read Latin. So people couldn't read. They just had to take the church leaders' words for it. But Luther could read Latin. He was educated. And he sat down one day and he read Romans. And he's in Romans 1 and he gets to verse 17. And I want to read it for you. This is what Luther reads. He said, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, that comes by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, let me back up for a second, okay? I, I'm curious, how, how is it that you read Romans 1.17? Especially that statement, the righteousness of God. How is it that you understand that? Let me read it again, okay? For in the gospel, the good news... It's what the gospel means. The righteousness of God is revealed. I bet some of you, when you hear that term, the, the righteousness of, of God, you, right away you think the moral standard of God. Right? It's God's righteousness, his standard for how we should live. But Luther realized that's not that doesn't make sense. That's not gospel. That's not good news. Because none of us live up to that standard. So it can't mean, it can't mean that. I wonder for others of us, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. You understand that to mean it, it's, this, it's this ability that God gives me to live a godly life. I wonder if that's how some of you read Romans 1.17. In the gospel, God teaches me how to live a godly life. Luther would say, that's not good news either. Because even if God gives you his Holy Spirit and will empower you to live a godly life, you're never going to do it perfectly until you stand before his throne in heaven. So it can't mean that. So Luther, gave, he finally realized what Paul is talking about here. In the gospel, a righteousness of God is given to sinners, earned for us by Christ. Are we tracking with this? It is a righteous standing. It's not my righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness that Jesus earned that is given to you by faith. When you put your faith in Christ. That's the, that's the gospel. That's what's revealed to us in the gospel. Not a self-produced righteousness. A God-produced righteousness given to us by faith. Good news? Very good news. If you were a sinner like me. Okay, so 
Luther said it was like the heavens opened up and he could see God for the first time. And I just wonder if this truth, this doctrine, it might be that even for some of us today, where it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> here I've been trying to earn, I've been trying to please. And I, Luther finally realized, no, it's given to me when I put my faith in Christ. I'm given this righteous standing before God that's not my own. Uh, he was going to be burned at the stake for teaching this, by the way. Um, he would have been burned at the stake. They, they said, you need to recant this teaching that we received because the church wanted people working, doing it. Um, he would have been burned at the stake. A friend kidnapped Luther, took him into hiding. Uh, with, you know what he starts doing in hiding? He starts translating the Bible into the language that people can read. German at that time, he's German, this is in Germany. He starts translating the Bible so people can read it, and by God's providence, guess what was invented? The printing press. And so now the Bible is being translated and, and, and copied, and people have the Bible in their hands, and they're reading it, and they're seeing what Luther is talking about, and their eyes are opened, and this is where the Reformation begins. And there's a split from the universal church. There's a split from the Catholic church. And, and do you know what those who split from the church are called? Those who split from the Catholic church, you know what we're called? Protestants. You heard that term? Protestants. Do you know what pro Protestant means? To protest. It's what we do. We protest the idea of self-righteousness. You protest it. People say, tell you you got to do these things to be saved. You got to do these things so God will accept you. You do these things so that you're going to get into heaven one day. What do we do? We protest it. And yet I look around at people who are growing up in the church today, and it doesn't matter if you're Catholic. It doesn't matter if you're uh, Protestant. We're growing up, and this is what so many of us heard. We've returned to a works-based Religion. Many of us have never even heard about the righteousness of God given to us by faith. I remember being in a coffee shop talking with a, a, a pastoral friend, and we were, we were talking, and after our conversation, we got up to leave, and this other table, that, um, there was a woman sitting there, and she said, uh, you know, it was really encouraging hearing the conversation you and your friend were having, uh, talking about the Bible and, and, and talking about the church. And I don't know what came over me. I mean, I was just like in the moment, I was filled with the Spirit. I, I just going to say, I think this was God speaking through me. But I just felt compelled. I asked her, I said, oh, uh, let me ask you a question. I said, you know, it, I'm just curious. If you were to die today, where would you go? And she said, I would go to heaven. And I said, can I just ask you a question? I said, why? And she said, this was her literal answer given to me. She said, because I love God and I try to be a good person. I love God and I try to be a good person. I wonder if that's what many of us heard growing up. You just love God and you try to be a good person. And I, and I said, I got to tell you. I said, actually, if that's what you actually believe, I, I said, you're going to hell. And for some reason, the conversation got really awkward at this point. But the good news was I was able to share the gospel with her. I was able to say, that's not the gospel. And I don't know. I think there's some people, I truly believe this, who have truly put their faith in Christ. Sometimes they just can't articulate what the gospel is. 
And sometimes God, he saves us despite our bad thinking. I do believe that, okay? But, but let me just say, if that's actually what she believed, friends, that is not the gospel. You need to know that that is not the good news, that I love God and I try to be a good person. And I asked her, I said, what, what church are you a part of? And, and she said, I, I, it, the church she was a part, it was a Lutheran church. It had Luther's name attached to it. And I'm thinking to myself, Luther would be rolling in his grave. Now, let me just say this. It's not just Lutherans. It's not just Catholics. I mean, this is <laughs> Baptist. This is all denominations. This is what so many of us grew up. And I think some of us, our pastors, they were teaching us the righteousness of God. We just weren't hearing it. We didn't have the ears to hear. I've been praying for you all week. You're going to have the ears to hear what I'm talking about. But some of you, you grew up and you just never heard. You just never heard. You shouldn't have to go to Bible college to hear about this stuff. This is good news. This is good news, friends. A righteous changed Luther's life. I almost showed you. Oh, I just, I'm not going to go there. I want to show you something Jesus says. Matthew 5.17. Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Okay. I, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have come to fulfill them. Why does he make that first statement? I didn't come to change the law or the prophets. Why? Because he's being, he's, the, the Pharisees are accusing him of this. The self-righteous, Jesus, tell people how they need to clean up their lives. Oh, okay, Jesus, you just think you can just change the law and just let your disciples live however they want. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not changing the law, especially the moral law. That's rooted in God's character. He can't change. That doesn't change. What I have come to do is to fulfill the law for them. That's what Christ came to do, friends. He came to fulfill the law for you, a sinner, one who still struggles with sin. But you have the law fulfilled for you through this Christ Jesus. The law has been fulfilled for, 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 for a man who used to steal money from his mother, buy drugs, and a man who still struggles with sin today. The law is fulfilled for me. And the law is fulfilled for you too if you're, if you're in Christ. Which means when God looks at you, do, do you know what he sees? He sees absolute perfection. That's how he counts you in his sight. How many of you heard that growing up? Don't, don't raise any hands. He sees you as perfect. That's why you can come into his presence. That's why you get to receive the Holy Spirit. That's why we can go before him and pray, and he actually hears our prayers. It's where all of our power to be Christians comes from. The law has been fulfilled for me. Now, this is a weird idea, this idea that you have a representative, that you would have one who would stand in your place and do something for you. As Americans, right, we want to roll up our sleeves and we want to work hard and we want to do it for ourselves. But this is one area where we can't do this for ourselves. We have to receive it, okay? And, and so I was reading the, 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 the Bible this week. I was reading the Old Testament, and it got me thinking, okay? And, and, and I'm just going to ask you, stay with me here. 
You know, God was foreshadowing this even in the Old Testament, this idea of a representative. This idea of, of one coming who would represent his people to save them. And, and, and the story that came to mind for me, and I could go many places, by the way, but the story that came to mind for me was the story of David and Goliath. And I have to, I'm just going to guess, I bet when many of us grew up and we heard the story of David and Goliath, who were you in the story? You're David. Some of you are like, of course, you're, you're David. Right? If you actually read the story of David and Goliath through a gospel lens, you're not David. Now, don't get me wrong. I've taught many times, you know, David and Goliath, David had faith. We need to overcome our obstacles. You are not David in the story. Who are you? Anybody? Yeah, you are the Israelites. That's who you are. You're not David. You are the Israelites in the story. And so what happens? The Philistines, they appoint their warrior, Goliath. Israel, they appoint their warrior. Well, he steps forward, David. And whichever one wins, that side, that kingdom wins. And so we know the story, right? David, he has got his stone. He's got the sling. You know, he flings the stone, hits Goliath right between the eyes. Goliath goes down. Where is Israel in all this? They are on the sidelines, shaking in their boots. Goliath goes down, and Israel gets the victory for what their David accomplished. You ever heard that story that way? This is the gospel, friends. And by the way, we, we don't like to talk about what's it. Do you remember what David does next? That's like my, okay, it's not politically correct, but I mean, don't, he takes his Goliath's sword and he cuts off his head. And why does he do that? <laughs> Victory! Philistines. We're told the head goes back to Jerusalem <laughs> as a reminder. Look what David has done. <laughs> Are you seeing what Jesus has done for you? Who is your Goliath? Your Goliath was eternal death. Jesus, through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, what did he do? He cut the head off of the beast. And what are you supposed to do, Christian? You're supposed to lift up the head and put it in Satan's face and remind him that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. You walk in that victory? Do you walk in that victory? I'm trying to teach you, church, how to fight. It's a fight. There is now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. And sometimes what you got to do is you got to lift the head of your condemnation. It's been cut off by Jesus and remind Satan of it. We have the victory. Through our Jesus. Where were we? We were on the sidelines shaking in our boots. It's been done for us. The law has been fulfilled for you. Claim it. Okay, very quickly, what does this mean? What does this mean for you? Well, first, it means you're safe. If you're in Christ, you need to know this. It means you are safe. 
God looks upon you. He sees a child. He sees perfection. He sees one that the law has been fulfilled for you. Picture like a bubble. You step into that bubble. That, that bubble is Christ. And there are going to be people in your life, sometimes there's going to even be churches in your life, who are going to want to burst your bubble. Don't let them. In Christ, you are safe. Ooh, we have a righteousness. Are we hearing me? <laughs> oh, it makes you want to laugh like a crazy person. Secondly, it means I'm humble. It means I'm humble. If I recognize that it was, it was Jesus that did this for me, who am I to judge another soul? It's, it's, a prideful Christian, friends, that's an oxymoron. It's like saying jumbo shrimp. Shrimp ain't jumbo. It's a contradiction of terms. A prideful Christian is a contradiction of terms. When you realize Jesus secured your righteousness, you did not do it. How do we judge others? We realize we're all in the same boat. We need Jesus, all of us. Third, it means I'm a work in progress. I am a work in progress. Uh, none of us have arrived. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit is going to inspire you to want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I can't explain it. It just happens. But all of us are still going to struggle on this side of eternity. And, but you need to know that's okay. You're safe in Christ. You're in that bubble. It's okay to be a work in progress. The, the best way I can say it is God already declares you righteous. Now we strive to become who God already says we are. But there are going to be days where we don't do so well. And we need to remember it's okay to be a work in progress. Can we just say that? On the count of three, can I just say, I am a work in progress. One, two, three. I am a work in progress. Friends, you need to know it's okay. Where is our confidence this morning? Is it in you? Or is it in Christ? Now do you understand why we worship this Jesus? That's where we place our confidence. If you haven't, I'm going to beg you this morning, place your confidence in the one who has fulfilled the law and won the victory for you. Step into that bubble, claim it, and don't let anyone burst your bubble. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. We thank you that you were willing to send your son to be our righteousness, to send your son to earn something for us we could never earn or do for ourselves. And God, I know there are some here this morning who've been struggling with guilt, they've been struggling with shame, and I'm going to pray by the power of your spirit, you're going to give them the ability right now to let that go and to recognize that as far as things go between you and them, they are perfect in your sight now. Through Christ, because of what Jesus has done. Or like Martin Luther, would you free some of our souls this morning that need to be freed because of what you've done for us. And maybe there's others of us this morning. We've never stepped into that bubble. We, we, we've never received, Christ, what you've done for us. And if that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. 
I want the righteousness you have earned for me. And I would just ask that you would take this sinner and give him a righteousness that's not his own. Give me a righteousness, a righteousness that's not her own, Lord. That I could start walking in that and claiming that today for my life and see the power that flows out of the gospel. So Jesus, we all as a church, we say we want to receive that today. We take it. We claim it. Help us now by your spirit to walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.